With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host, and I'm so happy you're joining us. Welcome to the fourth episode of my show. I'm really excited to have this platform to continue one of my life passions, which is raising the awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and also providing listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security, as well as to better protect the privacy of your clients, customers, patients, employees, and of course, your family, friends, and yourself. Now, I started working to identify, establish, and implement privacy controls for a large multinational financial and healthcare corporation in 1994. The EU Data Protection Directive was adopted a year later in 1995. And so it's something that I started addressing early on. And it has been in effect since then. Well, guess what? All this is going to change on May 25th of this year when the EU General Data Protection Regulation, or more commonly referenced as the GDPR, goes into effect, bringing with it some significant changes to how organizations were protecting their personal information under the Data Protection Directive. Now, today, we're going to discuss a very hot topic with a couple of GDPR experts who have been deep in the weeds in helping organizations to implement the changes necessary to comply with the GDPR. And this certainly is a really hot topic. I did an online news search this morning, and there were 114,000 distinct news articles in the past year on this topic alone, with an unlimited number of opinions, warnings, sky is falling predictions, and so on. So I'm happy that we have two GDPR experts who are based and work in the EU to sort out some of the fictions from the facts, along with giving us some great advice. First, we have Kimberly Lewis. Now, Kimberly has over 22 years experience as an international CEO in search and online companies. Kimberly has served in the board of companies from Germany to Russia and from the USA to Israel. And Kimberly's worked and lived in 18 different countries. 
Kimberly is recognized as an expert in media search and information, and she has won over 29 international awards in marketing and product development. Kimberly's the general manager of www.siinda.com, the search and Information Industry Association, which is a leading digital marketing nonprofit in Europe. Kimberly is also a fellow radio host on Voice America Business with her show, Leadership Beyond Borders, which focuses on international leadership practices and business issues. Kimberly is also the author of Ponytail Talk. It's all about you, winning career strategies for women, and she's the owner of Women's Leadership Academy 2020. Stephanie Viriliak had a first experience in the European Parliament and was awarded the Francois Fontaine Prize for her work in the EU opening to the Visegrad countries. Stephanie entered EADP in 1999 as EU Affairs Officer. Stephanie has been actively promoting and working for the local search and database sector on a really wide set of EU issues from copyright to telecom and data protection. And she also got involved in benchmarking studies for the data sector in Europe. Stephanie also regularly delivers speeches at international conferences and actively takes part in the organization of professional congresses for companies in Europe. Stephanie is the founder and CEO of SVM Consult, and Stephanie manages the European Affairs for SIINDA, again, the Search and Information Industry Association. Kimberly and Stephanie, I am so happy to speak with you about this important and timely topic. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having us. And uh, greetings from um, today. I'm in the Czech Republic, and Steph, you're in France, right? Yes. So thank you very much. Yeah, we're we're truly European. You know, from remote <laughs> everywhere in Europe. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad we have this opportunity to discuss this with you then, because I hear you've both been working at length throughout Europe, helping organizations with a variety of data management issues and meeting the related EU regulations for protecting that data. So now I want to turn our attention specifically to the GDPR. So let's start out with finding, uh, discovering how long have you both been helping organizations to meet GDPR compliance? Well, um, Steph, I'll start with this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, CINDA, which is uh, S-I-I-N-D-A, the Search and Information Industry Association, basically all our members and our concentration is on data. So we began with this in 2016. And then in 2017, we really made a push with uh, among our members, our, our member companies, who are very large companies who, who use a lot of data within Europe. And we produced a white paper on GDPR, and we produced some fact lists to try to help companies navigate 
through this new legislation. So we've been really doing this since 2016. Well, you know, what I've been finding through um, my Simbus clients and also my privacy professor clients, I've been hearing many people state that they think, you know, if they don't have customers or patients in the European Union, that the GDPR does not apply to them. And, of course, this is a dangerous and false belief. So, Stephanie, I'm, fi- you know, are you finding this as well? And what are some examples of this and any other incorrect m- misunderstandings that organizations have about the need to comply with the GDPR? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the point that you raised, the, the kind of a territorial scope of the GDPR is a very common misunderstanding. And we, we at the beginning, when, when we tried to, um, uh, to uh, raise the awareness among our SINDA members, what we really faced was uh, uh, the, the argument saying, oh, I'm not based in the EU, so it doesn't apply to me. And uh, we had a hard time, especially for uh, the supplier part of our members who uh, who wouldn't be data controllers, but who are the data processors. And they were thinking that uh, because they were outside of the EU and they were not uh, having direct uh, EU customers, it wouldn't apply. So we really insisted on uh, very much on the fact um, that the targeting element uh, it is very important in the GDPR, meaning that uh, it doesn't it, you don't need to have a, a proven, let's say, EU customer as long as you are directing your activities towards uh, EU data subjects. Then the GDPR applies to you. So we've we've really experienced that, and uh, I I think you, you need a lot of awareness raising. Uh, in in the various companies to make them understand that they have to apply it too. Yeah, and I think could I just add one thing, sure. Rebecca, on that, um, which I think is quite important. When when Stephanie is talking about targeting, what she also means, I mean, if you're in San Francisco and you have um, some in your website, you have German or you have you have uh, uh, French or you have Dutch. Okay, that means that you're targeting. You're targeting primarily an EU audience. Now, of course, with those three languages, you could be targeting other places in the world, but you are targeting. So, this was the misconception uh, about you know what data you have. But it's not just about what data you have, it's what data you're targeting. Well, and to, to kind of go along with that, what I'm finding is that a lot of what are referenced as data processors or defined as data processors under the GDPR, commonly these are who you, co- you consider third parties, your contracted entities. You know, what I'm finding is a lot of times um, organizations don't consider the fact that they collect a lot of personal information from their contracted workers who are based in the EU. Um, And so doesn't uh, the GDPR apply to them as well to protect that personal information that they are possessing from their own business partners? Steph, I'll let you answer that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely uh, one of the most important changes, as you as you brought up from the uh, 
with the regulation from the directive is the joint responsibility that we see between uh, data controllers and data processors. And uh, this is exactly what you what you just raised is the fact that uh, a lot of uh, non-EU companies are having EU partners uh, with whom uh, they, they process data or they subcontract for uh, part of their uh, management and their activities. And of course, you always have data exchange and a lot of, uh, a lot of this data exchange is personal data. I mean, we're talking about, uh, about uh, the database and directory sector. So of course, the data is personal data in the sense of the GDPR. So, it's really true that this question of, uh, of the joint uh, responsibility of data controllers and data processor has been one of the points where we saw the most misconceptions and where we saw the most uh, important uh, awareness uh, uh, yeah, activity uh, to be done. And I think we are on the good range now, but there's, there are still some people who are kind of late. <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. And I think also, Stephanie, to add to that, it, it, when you're talking about data, it, it's also, I mean, first of all, this whole concept is about consent, okay? And then you have different levels of data, okay? And you have different levels. And, and if you go down to, to the level of actually profiling, then you actually get even more stricter and, and laws on that. So if you're as a company, a supplier, who is just you know, gathering Kimberly Lewis in my email address, that's one level. But if you're, you're actually getting my birthday, where I'm born, and very, very private uh, data sets from me, then you're actually going into a stricter level of profiling, which are, ha also has different different restrictions on that. Well, yeah, the sensitivity level mm. really, you know, changes and, and expands. And, you know, something along those same lines, a lot of uh, my clients are these contracted types of businesses who do work for other um, organizations, a lot of cloud services. And here's a couple of things that they've said to me that just really worries me and it makes me spend a lot more time helping them to understand their responsibilities. I've had several cloud services say, well, you know, we're just the cloud service. We don't have any responsibility for the security of what our clients put into our system. That doesn't apply to us. And then the second dangerous thing I heard, have heard many of them say is that, you know, we don't have personal information because we can find that data online. And if you can find it online, then it isn't personal data anymore. Well, certainly that is not the case. But are you finding these types of opinions as well with the organizations you're working with? I think I'll do the accountability and you can talk about the personal data, Stephanie. Yeah. Um, the accountability, surely. I, I mean, and, and this, is, this is, you know, when you're talking about hacking or you talk about anything else, you know, the accountability, who's accountable, okay? And with GDPR, everybody's accountable, okay? Um, so the, the whole chain of services are accountable and that's a very big misconception. And so, 
It doesn't matter if you are the person who is either gathering the data or you're using the data or you're selling the data to a third party. The whole chain is accountable. And as far as the personal data, Stephanie, do you want to make a comment on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, as you said, it's just uh, the the GDPR is defined. It has a very large definition of what constitutes uh, personal data, and obviously, uh, when you're uploading a lot of things in a cloud computing uh, service, uh, you're uploading personal data because, like location data or even an IP address, we saw that the G29 uh, uh, working party, which is to be to be quick, which is the EU Data Protection Authority. Uh, just recognize that uh, IP addresses are uh, part of a personal data definition in, under the GDPR. So it means that uh, it's really uh, very difficult to to argue that the data that you're using is non-personal because uh, it for for uh, the data to be non personal in the sense of the GDPR definition, it would need to be fully anonymized and it would need to be anonymized in a way that uh, it that uh, really prevents you for, from de-anonymizing it in, a, in an easy way. Uh, so we're seeing that basically, I mean, a lot of the data that is uh, exchanged uh, digitally between the service providers, between the uh, social media players and, and uh, all the other uh, uh, big companies is personal data. Well, and that's such an important yeah. point. I mean, knowing you you have to know what personal data is, what specific types of information items are considered to be personal data. And certainly, I want to move on now to some specific GDPR requirements. Now, one of them is performing data protection impact assessments, or DPIAs. And if you're going to do a DPIA, why one of the, the certainly one of the things you need to know is what specific data items are considered to be personal information items and, you know, where are they located? and uh, who has access to them. So can um, either of you or both of you describe to our listeners some of the basic processes that that you both follow for performing DPIAs or some of the, the most common findings from the DPIAs that you're performing? Um, I think I'll start, Steph, and then you can mm-hmm. you can go on. I, I think the the biggest the biggest thing that we're seeing is it's really incredible on on companies on uh, what they they don't know about the data they have. Okay, mm-hmm. and they don't know where it's flowing, and they don't know how how deep it is. So I think the the first process is really to to do an in depth data mapping. Okay. Um, really what percentage of data has how much depth that data has and where is it coming from and where is it going to, okay? And um, as I said, it's it's amazing to see, you know, companies, even companies that actually sell data sometimes even do not have that awareness. So the first thing that we tell companies to come to when we go into companies and we say, first start at the very high level, do that data mapping. What do you have? Where are you getting it from? How deep is that data? And then where is it going? 
And then, Steph, you want to go on from there? <laughs> Next step. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the first the uh, the first uh, stage is obviously to to get a clear picture of uh, which type of data you you are uh, processing. Uh, and as you said, uh, Rebecca, very uh, it's very important to to have a clear view of uh, uh, the difference between personal and non-personal data that you have. Also, if it is sensitive or non-sensitive data, because the way it's handled with the GDPR is different uh, depending if it's uh, sensitive data. And also, uh, what type of uh, legal grounds are you using when uh, to, to process this data? So is it based on consent? Or are you getting data from uh, public sources and reusing it uh, out of uh, public sector information, reuse uh, possibilities, uh, for example? Or uh, are, you, are you getting, is one of your contractor uh, getting this, da this data and are you using it as a third party? Uh, these are all the type of, uh, of inventory and processes that we advise uh, our companies to, to really work on. And from when they have a clear picture, uh, both internally and externally about the transfers, uh, of data that are happening, uh, then we just you know cross check if uh, if they are uh, compliant with GDPR requirement or not, and what they need to do internally. The second chain, the second uh, uh, yeah, the second stage. Sorry, is once you you've done that and you've done the the impact assessment, then you need to see. Uh, to to mirror it back all along the uh, the various departments and all along the various uh, uh, chains uh, in your company because of course uh, obviously the legal department is going to be aware that uh, there are some issues with the uh, data protection but uh, the HR might might be a little bit less aware and uh, the IT uh, department might just think that you know processing uh, processing IT analytics data is perfectly fine and has nothing to do with uh, with data protection which might not be true <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, it's very important we think to to have this kind of a buy-in uh, that the data protection is really an important uh, c-suite and a board uh, board issue and that uh, you need to go back to all the departments and make this kind of a cross check uh, be between the gdpr requirements and uh, and the data processing activities internally this is what we advise Company yeah, and I, and I think on top of that, of course, what what Stephanie just said is the you know the other two elements that play into it is is how long are you holding that data and yeah. where are you holding it? Okay, where is it yeah. being stored and and how old is it? And those are also things that have to be mapped. Well, and you know, talking about knowing where your data is, I've seen that that is such a a challenge, especially today when we have so many organizations that have their employees using their own personally owned mm -hmm. devices. And mm -hmm. then you, you have all of these IoT, Internet of Things mm -hmm. devices mm -hmm. that are being yeah. introduced into your own um, environment, digital environment. So a lot of times that then leads 
to breaches. And, mm. you know, um, with regard to breaches then, that's another part of the GDPR. And, you know, here in the U.S., we've been dealing with breach response laws and regulations since 2003. But the thing is, we have 52 state and territory breach laws, and we have at least three federal breach regs, and we have multiple industry standards with breach response requirements. One thing I think is great about the GDPR is that it establishes generally one set of breach response requirements. Now, mandatory 72-hour GDPR breach notification period has many businesses worried, especially those who have been following a lot of the U.S.-based <laughs> breach laws, because a lot of the U.S.-based laws have such um, reporting requirements such as, um, you know, within 30 days or some say within 60 days. Well, you have 72 hours um, that you need to make sure that you respond in with regard to that. So we're mm-hmm. coming up on a break right now. But before we go, I want our listeners to kind of think about and and leave this with uh, both you, Kimberly, and Stephanie. You know, when we come back, I want us to talk about what you recommend to organizations with regard to establishing breach response mm-hmm. and determination of risk. So, um, you know, now it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors. We're speaking with Kimberly. Kimberly Lewis and Stephanie Viriliak about the GDPR. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my website, Simbus360.com, privacyprofessor.org, and my LinkedIn site. Please stay with us. We will be right back to discuss this very important and hot topic of GDPR compliance. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Simbus system. Visit Simbus360.com. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. We are speaking today with Kimberly Lewis and Stephanie Viriliak about the GDPR. And before the break, we started talking about the breach response requirements under the GDPR because they're very strict. There's a mandatory 72-hour GDPR breach notification period that has many businesses worried. And one of the reasons they're worried, of course, is because of the potential sanctions and fines. Under GDPR now, these are pretty steep. They go up to $20 million, uh, and that's $20 million U.S. dollars for uh, listeners, or 4% of your annual global revenue. So, you know, companies speak uh, are facing some very steep fines. So, um, Kimberly and Stephanie, what do you recommend that organizations do as their first step in establishing breach response processes and procedures? And do you have any, um, you know, examples of organizations that have actually had to deal with this and how to determine risk and so on? Um, Rebecca, thank you. This is a great this is a great question, and we're going to start with we we just had a company that we worked with that actually had a data breach. They were hacked. Okay, now we're not on we're not on May twenty fifth yet, um, but they've been working with us, and so we went through the entire procedure with them. And the the first advice that we say, of course, as a company. You have to determine as soon as possible, and of course, and when you're dealing with a 72-hour window, you have to do it immediately on what has been breached, and you know, uh, you know, how deep is that breach, and and how many customers do you have? And what we did is we went out and we informed those customers immediately without causing panic. Okay, um, and that's important. But we do have a there are there are different formulations that the GDPR and we as Cinda give and say this is how you inform the customers to tell them what has happened and that is absolutely essential and I know you have had some situations in the United States in the past year where people were informed two months later or three months later with GDPR that cannot happen. Okay, that ha- you need to inform people within that 72 hours. Now, once you once you've done that information, you uh, you know allow them to know what has happened and what the possible you know 
um, risks are. And then, of course, if you're the CEO of that company, it's immediately to get that fixed as soon as possible right? and um, to minimize that risk as soon as possible. And and that's what we recommend. Now, we, we do have different letters that we formulated, different checklists that we formulated. But if you have any kind of breach as far as from external breach, then we advise you to get external help. Um, this company got external help to find out. But of course, there's internal breach also. Okay, and that can happen. And it doesn't matter if it's internal or it's external. And I don't know the percentages, but a lot of this, Rebecca, you may know that, is actually internal. The same processes have to happen. There so. So when you're saying, just for our listeners, so when you're saying the difference between external and internal, so like external would be if a hacker comes into the the system and gets access, whereas internal means you have somebody that might be an employee, but they don't have authorization to get to that personal information, but then they, they got to it anyway. Is that what you're talking about? Absolutely. And that that is, I'm going to let Stephanie answer a little bit more on what you have to do with the breach, but that brings a different um, matter, a different subject, and that is what you have to do as a CEO or a, to inform your employees and to inform them about the GDPR and about the consequences. But first, regardless of what, whether it's internal or external, your Customers, those customers who have been, the data that has been breached have to be informed. And Stephanie, do you want to um, yeah, elaborate yeah. on that? Yeah, just to, to elaborate a bit more on the on the uh, breach notification uh, 72 hour uh, deadline. Uh, not only you have to, of course, you have to warn your, the users and the data subject where uh, their data has might have been compromised. And uh, for that, uh, the data mapping is very important because, of course, you need to know which type of data you have on on whom, and you need to have a ready-to-use communication uh, tool with the data users. Uh, So you you can decide, uh, obviously, email is is a good one, but you can decide different types. But it needs to be quick because you can't just uh, send a, a regular mail into a, a postal mailbox to warn uh, people about the data breach. It doesn't work with GDPR uh, deadlines. And the second point is that you also have to warn uh, the EU uh, Data Protection Authority yes. in the member states where you are based or where you have a representative or a representative uh, establishment uh, that a breach has happened. And uh, for that, you also need to be extremely precise because, of course, the data protection authorities knows exactly uh, which type of data is sensitive or not. And uh, so you need to have a kind of twofold approach uh, ready to use. And uh, as Kim said, I mean, we recommend recommend companies first to have a very clear uh, data mapping and data inventory uh, there because uh, then you can process from that. And uh, to have some ready-to-use communication tools, both for the for the data users, and uh, for the usury, uh, and for the uh, supervisory authority. Well, and let's let's continue on in with this breach because I've heard so much, you know, conflicting information from mm-hmm. a variety of different folks out there. And one of them, with regard to this seventy-two hour 
time frame. Let's say you have one of your data processors who has the breach. So when they discover the breach, that 72 hours starts when they discover it, right? So they better mm-hmm. contact mm-hmm. your organization yeah. as quickly as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and go, go ahead, Steph. <laughs> yes, and, and I mean, even uh, even uh, even the uh, the clarity is not 100% uh, done yet because uh, you know that so there is the GDPR which is which is set. Uh, but as you know, there is also this kind of interpretation uh, that can be done with the practical guidelines coming from the Article 29 Working Party. And in that, you see that uh, this uh, EU Data Protection Authority uh, is recommending to warn everyone without a new delay. So, uh, meaning that if there is a breach with your data processor and they have, you have 72 hours, then they need to contact you really super quick because then you need also to warn your own users that their data might have been compromised within this deadline. So uh, uh, the communication between uh, processors and controllers or between suppliers and, uh, and uh, contractors need to be extremely uh, quick and precise. And I think that goes back to what we talked about before about accountability, because th- these new this new legislation talks about accountability. Accountability is everybody. Okay. So that is one of the misconceptions that's happening. Is think people say, well, I'm kind of only the middle guy, or I'm kind of only doing this. And that's not correct. The accountability is a chain of accountability, and everybody is responsible for meeting these regulations within that chain. Well, and speaking of accountability, so in the the U.S., um, under HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability Accountability Act, that has had a requirement for breach response for many years now. And Mm -hmm. under it, why it basically, the uh, regulatory oversight, the Department of Health and Human Services says the the business associate, which is the data processor, um, they need to contact their uh, business that they're doing the work for, the covered entity, and let the covered entity be the one to notify the impacted individuals. So now when I'm hearing about GDPR, I'm hearing lots of different opinions about, well, when we identify a breach, should the data processor be the one that contacts the impacted individuals, the data subjects directly, or do they need to allow the um, the actual data controller to do the contacting the the organization that has the relationship directly with those individuals. I mean, what are you suggesting or recommending to your um, to your clients with regard to who does that notification to the impacted individuals? Uh, Steph, do you want me to start on this? Uh, I think think when there's a relationship between a company or whoever has the relationship with those customers, they are the best person to inform those customers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that's kind of logic also. But what that does not mean is does not mean those processors are out of the accountability chain. So if a processor, for example, waits 
two weeks before they inform the person who has a relationship, then they they have not met these regulations because they are not giving that person who has the relationship the ability to contact within within that time. Now, a lot of these are not completely crystal clear. And I think that when May 25th comes and we, we start to see, and we are going to see, we are going to see cases, and when we start to see those cases, I think they may tight, tighten up on this, um, but my emphasis would be anybody processing, anybody doing anything has got to really adhere to this, and then the people with the actual relationships are the, the best to, to inform Stephanie, would you like to comment on that? You may have a different opinion. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I completely share your views. I mean, it, it has to be the one who has the most direct uh, communication uh, possibilities with the user. And it may, it may also be that, uh, you know, a data processor doesn't have any direct access with the, with the final user. It, it may really be the case. So uh, the most important is, uh, is, as Kim said, to have this clear accountability and joint liability uh, uh, system in, in place and make sure that uh, nobody evades uh, their own responsibility. And also, yeah, make sure that uh, you have some communication channels uh, that are ready to use and easy to use uh, in uh, in the most efficient way on the digital uh, environment because uh, because this is really what's at stake. And also, I just wanted to comment on another thing which is not linked uh, directly to the GDPR uh, data breach uh, questions, but it's the reputational damage and the fact that uh, no matter if you if you if if the data is compromised. Uh, then you have a reputational damage that is really affecting the company and it doesn't go to GDPR compliance as such, but it's also the brand image and we've seen that with a number of cases both in the US and the in the EU before the G- GDPR uh, deadline uh, is that uh, when I, if you're waiting too long uh, to notify a breach, then you lose the face of your uh, customers and uh, you really have a bigger uh, reputational uh, damage uh, uh, that, is, uh, that is impeding your, uh, your company brand. Well, and that is so important because I hear too many organizations don't talk about more beyond, you know, just the actual potential fine or penalty, which is is significant, but that brand value, that is what most executives, they understand brand value, right? I mean, they want to make sure that the value of their brand stays up there. So if they hear that it could really damage their brand value and lose clients or customers, then that's going to get their attention as well. And I want just one more question on breach response before we go on, because this this has to do with accountability still. And it's something that I've heard a lot of. Again, the data processors make statements. They're like, well, we don't have to um, follow GDPR if that's not included in our contract with our data controller, with the our business, who's our client. And I think that's also a very dangerous belief, the fact mm-hmm. that just because it's not covered in your contract that you don't have to follow that regulation. I mean, have you seen this or heard this as well? 
I, I think uh, since since I work a little bit more with with uh, some of the states, I might have heard this a little bit more than Stephanie. But but that's absolutely so untrue because the GDPR has absolutely nothing to do with your contract with your whomever you're doing business with. It has to do with data in Europe or data with customers in Europe. Okay, so it does not matter if it's in your contract with with whomever you're doing business with. You, if you have data and you have European data, or you are targeting European data, you are responsible for the legislation within the EU. It doesn't matter what contracts you have with anybody else. I mean, Stephanie, I mean, I'm not a lawyer on this, but this is what we, we absolutely suggest and say, because it's two, it's apples and pears, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we just, uh, as we said in the beginning, it applies to everyone as long as uh, you are targeting uh, European data. So it's uh, it's basically very difficult to, uh, in a global and uh, hyper-connecting world, uh, to state that uh, GDPR is not going to kick in. It's just uh, it's just practically impossible. And what we, we're just advising our members and the, the, the persons we have uh, contacts with is to to uh, really be careful in uh, in uh, the way they phrase also their privacy notices and possibly also to revise the terms of their uh, contracts with their suppliers to make sure that uh, that the suppliers the processor understand that uh, they also have to comply with GDPR so it's uh, it's applicable per default let's say but uh, it's uh, we're just advi- advising people to restate that a little more in their contracts to make sure that uh, they get that understood well yeah i mean that demonstrates due diligence on their part yeah. too right yeah. so yeah. every chance you can to document the fact that you're trying to ensure that the appropriate requirements are covered even by your data processors the better um so let's move mm-hmm. on to just general GDPR compliance. And, you know, it sounds like you've both worked with a, a lot of different organizations on this and um, of varying uh, sizes and locations and so on. What are you finding is the most common problem or challenge from or within organizations who must meet GDPR compliance? And do you see those problems or challenges changing based upon the size of the organization or the type of business that they are? Good question, Rebecca. And as a big as a former CEO, the biggest thing that I'm seeing is that the CEOs either give it to the IT department or give it to the legal department and say, solve this. And they're not realizing the extent or how serious this is and the extent it could have influenced their business. So this really has to be seated through the organization. People have to be aware that consent and data privacy is on the forefront today. And that has to go from the customer service person to the salesperson to everybody. And that communication is not being made. And that is the biggest challenge I see right now is that it has to start from the top and there has to be a clear, clear directive 
that this is a serious issue and this company will take it seriously. And within the chain, within the departments, any anyone who has anything to do with data and those people who don't. So that is what I'm, the biggest issue. And it does, and actually, to be honest with you, the bigger the company, the worse it is. Hmm. Right. Um, you know, they just give it to legal or IT and say, take care of this and don't worry. And Stephanie, on, on your side, because you're dealing with some other companies. Yeah, I mean, I... I uh... Just to back up as uh, what you said, uh, because uh, we can see maybe some different perspective depending on the size, uh, as you said, Rebecca. So in big companies, the, the major problem, as, uh, as Kim pointed out, is to get the buy-in of the CEO and to make it a real priority. It's really, it, it's starting to come now because the deadline is, uh, is coming in uh, less than 100 days now, mm-hmm. uh, but it's late. The problem is that is that the bigger the company, uh, the most uh, the more time you need to do the inventory and to, to do all the all the checks and processes. So uh, it might be late. So we for for smaller uh, organizations, uh, the major problem we are seeing is that some of them don't know what type of data they have and really have to start from scratch uh, from identifying the data they have and the the compliance that uh, they need to put in place. And uh, when you are a one-man company or a very small company, uh, then it's very difficult to handle that. So they're trying to turn to external uh, advisors. And uh, one of the major problems here is that you need to get an advisor who understands your business. And uh, this is the tricky part. So I think from the yeah, yeah the the size can can be a, an important element. And another element is also the budget uh, impact that uh, that we see with compliance, because bigger companies are more uh, yeah ready to uh, to have some money to spend on that. And a smaller one could think, oh, this is not, uh, I don't have the money, so I just overlook it. And then you risk uh, the, the big fines and the 4% of uh, global uh, turnover, which is really big. So, Well, and yeah, mm-hmm. and talking about that, um, what I've seen over the years is that so many organizations that are really small, I mean, and we're talking about, like you said, the one-person shop or even the 10-person and 20-person shop. I've heard many of them say, well, we're too small or it doesn't apply to us because we're at a small organization, a small business. But I think it's important to emphasize size of your organization doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you have the personal information of those uh, who are from or in the EU, right? So uh, exactly as you said, you need to to determine what is it that you're going to do. So what do you suggest uh, to these businesses if they haven't started yet uh, addressing this? What is the thing that they should do right now to start, you know, at least showing that they're, they're, going forth and trying to comply with May, the May 25th compliance date. What are some mm-hmm. actions they can start doing now to show that goodwill? So I, I'll start with the small businesses and, and I, just to, to get the myths out of, even if you're a small business, if you're a little tiny business in New Hampshire, okay, and you're 
maybe are renting houses to somebody in Europe, the five houses that you're renting, okay? That, you still have that data from those European customers. So, you need to get some compliance from them. You need to do it. And you need to, you need to understand it because it's not about how big or how small you are. It's about that if I'm on that list and I live in Germany and then I'm all of a sudden I feel compromised. I could do something. I could make a complaint against you even if you're a company with 10 people or, or two people, okay? So it's not about these, it's about the reach. So I would say reach out. We send we incentives we're a nonprofit. We we very we help people understand this. Um, on the small business side, you can reach out to us at info at cinda.com and, and we help give you some compliances. We give you the papers. We, we try to help you understand that. On the big companies, I would say, you know, uh, you need to get things going. On the big companies, do you have a, a suggestion? Yeah, I mean, you need to, you, everybody needs to do risk assessments anyways. I mean, um, the first piece of advice is really to to do your data inventory and to do your, uh, your risk assessment. So to really, uh, to really wait uh, which type of data you have and is, is it at risk or not? Is it sensitive or not? Uh, is it cross-border data also? Do you have data transfers? to other part of yeah. the world, we didn't talk about that, but this is also a big issue because uh, because you need also to ensure that you have the same level of the data protection compliance if you're having data transfers outside of the of the EU. Uh, so this is a big element and you can be a, a one person uh, doing IT services and, uh, and uh, sending that to other parts of the world where there might not be the same level of compliance. So. Uh, this is a really important to uh, to map out, and I think uh, uh, for uh, yeah for big companies it's also to uh, to do your own uh, internal risk assessment, and uh, to make sure that you have uh, carefully seen uh, if you choose not to comply, then uh, assess the risk uh, the risk uh, linked to that because uh, they're going to be big. Mm. That's always a choice, but it's yeah. usually a bad choice. <laughs> it's yeah, usually obviously. bad. Choice. <laughs> uh, right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, kind of really. I mean, uh, I think, Rebecca, I mean, and we at Cinda, we're happy to answer questions at info um, at cinda.com. That's S I. I-N-D-A, and we also have, we up, have upcoming, we have an April 13th in London. Um, we have an entire day dedicated to, and we are going to be offering to any of your listeners um, a, that uh, we have a, um, it's a one-day event, and we have a 25% discount to any listeners who want to join us, where you can get all the information, meet us, and get some more advice. Um, yes, is in London, and we know that we have a very wide audience, but uh, that will be uh, on, we have a banner on your website, Rebecca, where you can click and get that discount. Excellent. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, you know what? We're at the end of our hour here. It went by so quickly. Um, there's so much to talk about with regard to this topic. So, 
Thank you, Kimberly and Stephanie, for being on the show and providing us with insights on what needs to be done for organizations to comply with the EU GDPR, which, of course, goes into effect on May 25th. And as Kimberly said, look at the banner on my site for the radio show. You click that, you'll get a 25% discount at their GDPR event in London on April 13th. So today I've been chatting with Kimberly Lewis, General Manager of SIINDA.com, and also Stephanie Viriliak, CEO of SVM Consult. I am your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor, pursuing my goal to help all businesses and the general public to be more aware of security and privacy risks and issues, and also how to mitigate those risks and better protect privacy. You can contact me with questions, comments, and provide me with your show ideas using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com, my name at myname.com, and also please visit my site, Simbus360. .com, privacyprofessor.org, and privacyguidance.com. I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work, or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it is secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Again, send me your thoughts, questions, and insights, and be privacy safe in the week ahead. Goodbye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe. Thank you.